Hmm, what do I watch next? You know what to watch, Jason. You know what needs to be done. No, I just said that I don't. Weren't you listening? You're a voice in my head, you should know everything I'm talking about. Don't give me any of my attitude. You know you have to go watch a bad movie. No, no I don't. I've got plenty of other things I could do. And watch. Look, I've got Thor Ragnarok right here and I haven't gotten around to seeing that yet. Oh, you don't want to watch that movie. So silly and pointless. It's much better and so much easier to watch something online. What? That doesn't sound right. But Jason, streaming. It's so easy. Why would they make it so easy if they didn't want you to watch these movies? It's all a test, Jason. A test to see how clever you are. Everyone knows about it, and they're all laughing at you as you sit there and watch your dumb, silly comic book movies, not realizing where the real movies are. And it's so obvious. It's right there, waiting for you, in the bloodstream. You think you're so clever, evil voice? Well, I've got your number. After last week's epically long episode for a really bad movie, I went out and I found something that promises to actually be good. Ish. Maybe. Fingers crossed. So, ha! Ha 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 ha! Anyways, welcome aboard, streamers. This is episode 36 of The Bloodstream, and I am your host, Jason Gray. If you're just joining us for the first time, on this show, I like to see what I can find on the various streaming services, usually Amazon cause I'm lazy, reel in some random movie that catches my eye, give it a watch, give you my thoughts, and let you know if it's worth your time. The name of this week's movie is The Evil Within, and it has a story behind it. This movie is the brainchild of Andrew Getty, and yes, he is related to John Paul Getty. That family's fortune is a large part of the funding of this movie. He based a lot of the stuff in the movie on nightmares he had as a child and incorporated a lot of that into the movie. He would often wonder where these nightmares came from, how his own brain could come up with this stuff, and it inspired him to think, could these be coming from some storyteller inside his own head and not from himself? This movie started filming in 2002. From there, it hit every sort of possible problem you could think of. Funding issues. Script rewriting, actor changes, production changes, and since a lot of it was being done by Getty himself from, like I said, the writing, the directing, he did a lot of the editing himself, even a lot of the special effects work from creating animatronics to anything else in the movie. So from 2002, this movie was starting, stopping, starting again, being rewritten, a cast member or two even died during the production of it and has some of their last performances. Getty continued to work on the film off and on for all those years trying to make it his perfect vision, but sadly in 2015 he passed away himself. One of the producers came along and finished up 
what work had to be done, and in 2017, the movie was finally released. I had remembered hearing about this movie off and on over the years, and hadn't really given it much thought until it was finally released, and I was like, I remember that movie. I have to check this out just to see if it is an utter complete train wreck from all that time it took, all the different people that were involved in it, and just to talk about the strange journey it took from 2002 to 15 years later. The final version of the movie does not star everyone who started the movie. In the final version of the movie, we get something with Sean Patrick Flannery, Dina Meyer, and Michael Berryman all of whom have plenty of credits to their names in various movies and television shows. The lead character, Dennis, is played by someone I'm not as familiar with, Frederick Kohler. But he does a really great job in this, and I don't want it to seem like I left him out, I'm just not familiar with his work. Even though looking at IMDB, I've seen a lot of stuff he's done, so that's my brain for you. In fact, the final version of the movie only stars two people that were there at the beginning. That would be Kohler and Berryman. This long story just to get to the movie itself, I almost feel like there's a compelling documentary to be had just from that. The movie behind the movie could be a more interesting movie than what the movie actually is. Movie. But now you know how the movie was made, which is way more information than we normally get into on this show, let me tell you what the movie's about. A mentally handicapped boy who lives with his older brother is ordered by a sadistic creature in his dreams to go on a murderous rampage. That's a whole hell of a lot more concise than anything else I've said so far. And since I have done a whole lot of talking up to this point, I'm gonna kick back, play the trailer, and I'll be back in a minute. A dream is a story I tell myself, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it, I guess. Well, if it's a story I tell me, how can I trick myself? You think someone else is telling you these stories? It has to be. Someone like... I control your dreams. I can handle the nightmares. You haven't yet had a nightmare. What are you hiding? Why are you lying? We have to stop the nightmares. We have to fix our brain. Oh, wow. Bad dreams, buddy? How can you stay awake all night? Mirror I hate, no, and I'm Look. gonna break the mirror right now! No, no, hey, hey, hey! John! There's a crime in progress. No! When you're sleeping at night, I'm the one who whispers in your ear. Okay, so there's an issue here, and I really don't want to gloss over it, because that's not fair. But I also don't really want to get stuck too long talking about it, because it's not what this show is about. So, I'm just going to address it right up front here, get it out of the way, and move on. Yes, having the killer be mentally handicapped is really problematic. 
having the mentally handicapped character played by, as far as I know, someone who is not mentally handicapped is doubly problematic on top of that. I really don't want to let those issues go unsaid. I can't just ignore them. Still, I think the movie handles it well enough for what it's doing, and the nature of the story dictates the choices they made. It's questionable just how much they're demonizing the mentally handicapped, and it's a really sad trope of things in horror movies, which in The Evil Within is really in your face because of spending so much time in Dennis's head. But it is also a plot point and motivation and part of the story, so it's not just an excuse, oh, he's killing people because he's mentally handicapped. It's treading a very fine line, and I think more often than not, it lands on being really problematic. But there are much better people than me to handle the discussion of these sorts of issues. I'm just here to have fun talking about a movie. But it is a thing that has to be mentioned. It is the elephant in the room. And it is what it is. Also, fair warning, there is a lot to unpack in this movie. There already is. I'm doing my best to try to keep this episode at least shorter than the previous one but I'm pretty sure it's still going to be longer than our normal 30 minutes. So, can I finally get to talking about the actual plot of this movie? We're what, 10-15 minutes in already? We open up with some of the dreamiest dream logic dream imagery since the original Elm Street. And the voiceover talking about how dreams aren't really stories, they don't make sense, but sometimes they do, and that's when they're really freaky. It's a solid enough voiceover, and since I can't really describe what's going on in any sensical way, I'm just gonna get right to the first clip. Life is a story. People think dreams are stories. They seem like stories, but they're not. Misguided, no shape, no form, no reason. Like rummaging through unmarked boxes in a long forgotten storage shed. You'll think it was a story, but try telling a friend of yours what happened in your dream the next day. Only then will you finally realize, wait a minute, that wasn't a story at all. But not all my dreams were like this. Some of them really were stories. Some of them were like this. Mom takes me to an amusement park. It's deserted, dusty, lifeless. Even the Barkers pitching unwinnable games for Cupid doll prizes do so with all the joie de vivre of a cancer patient. But I'm ecstatic. No crowds means no lines. the snow-capped summit in the topography of juvenile taste. The wonderful haunted house ride. Its facade promised more than papier-mâché monsters wrapped in derelict-resistant chicken wire. Mom, we gotta go. We gotta go on the haunted house ride. Are you sure? It says right on the marquee, it's the scariest one in the world. 
Of course, I'm sure. We have to, have to, have to. Are you sure you want to go? The sign ain't lying. I'm ready. Are you sure you're ready? And the car lurched forward clumsily and crashed through the doors, which snapped back. into the darkness. Into the darkness. Whisking along through the darkness. And crash. Out the other side. No pneumatic hiss pop-ups, no shrill startle bells, nothing. Not even the faintest attempt. A con game. What a rip-off. We should get our money back. Mom, we got ripped off by the idiots who live here. You're not going to do anything about this? Mom, we should get our money back. She turned to me very slowly and said, What makes you think the ride's over? What makes you think it's ever going to end? That was the first of these experiences I had. I'm still reluctant to call them dreams. And it ends at that point when mom removes her sunglasses, revealing her eyes are also mouths, and all three mouths are repeating that final line. Like I said, really freaky, trippy dream imagery, which I absolutely love. Okay, sure, this movie is taking its time to get going with long scenes like that, but it's surreal, it's off-putting, it's disturbing, it gets inside your head, and it's exactly the sort of thing I want from a horror movie. It may not have outright scares for you, but it just has this visceral, disturbing quality to it. From one dream, though, we move instantly to another one. Dennis tries to get up, but can only awaken inside the dream. He sees the door, the way out, but there's this man, this, this tall, gray creature, who won't let him leave. The gray man pins him down, applies a zipper to his back all the way from the base of his skull down his back, opens Dennis up, Climbs inside the husk, and what the fuck? Have I mentioned the really surreal, disturbing imagery of this movie? Dennis finally finds himself in a strange room he doesn't recognize, standing in front of a creepy mirror, feeling trapped in the gray man's world. This leads to a bit of a realization in the next clip, and it also leads into introducing the real Dennis and some of his family. And I can't wake up. I can't wake up. Oh my god. I am awake. Awake in the very location where my nightmare ended. This was real. How much nightmare would prove to be real? Did I sleepwalk here? How could I have pulled so sadistic a trick on myself? Especially as I didn't know where here was. 
I know this place. This is my home. I was just in a room that doesn't exist in my own house. First relief, then a sobering realization. As I'd fallen asleep where my dream began and woke up where it ended, I could never know for sure what was a dream and what wasn't. Here I am now, in a much warmer place, in a much brighter place, enjoying a picnic with my brother and his girlfriend. You're gonna have to get used to the way I speak out loud. My inner voice is considerably more sophisticated. John, this chicken was good, but we didn't bring any ice cream. Well, it's hard to bring ice cream on a picnic, Dennis, but, uh, well, we have cupcakes. No, I don't want cupcakes. All I want is ice cream. We have ice cream at home. Well, I like the kind at the store. <laughs> we have that kind at home. No, it's better at the store. It's exactly the same. You just want to see that girl. What is her name? Susan, I think. Mm. Yeah, she's cute. I think someone has a crush. <laughs> no way. All I want is ice cream. I don't know any girl. <laughs> what girl? So, yeah. We meet the real Dennis, and he's obviously mentally handicapped. But he seems pretty aware. He seems pretty capable. He has his issues. He can't read. He can't really understand a lot of stuff. But he does fairly well for himself throughout the course of the movie. After we hit up the ice cream shop, we meet the girl that Dennis has a crush on, they head back home, and John shows off this great mirror that he found that is also exactly the same mirror that Dennis saw in his nightmares. John has gone ahead, set it up in Dennis's room, and is trying to force this bit of furniture on him because it really suits the decor. Some of Dennis's stuff has been moved around to make room for it, Dennis doesn't really like change, I'd be kind of angry if he moved my comics too, so I kind of get where he's coming from. The brothers yell about it for a bit. Dennis really holds his own considering his limitations. And they come to a reluctant compromise to let it sit there for a few days, maybe see if Dennis can get used to having it in his room. John leaves to let Dennis stew for a bit. He talks to himself in the mirror, and surprisingly, the reflection starts to talk back. There's also an ongoing subplot about John and Lydia. Their relationship plays out throughout the movie, and basically, John is trying to do everything he can for his brother, which is putting a strain on their relationship because Lydia feels like he doesn't always have time for her, and can always use an out of his brother and come off seeming like a saint because he's taking care of this person. They also talk for a bit about the need to get Dennis more professional help than what John can provide, and that's an ongoing struggle between the two. I don't want to get too mired down into details about their relationship, but it does come up throughout the movie, and that's about all you need to know at this point. There's a brief scene with a social worker that stops by out of nowhere saying that she's getting reports that Dennis is being mistreated. She tries to goad John into violence or anger. He gets rid of her for now, but it's not the last we see of the character. John then goes to have a chat with his therapist, and while he's doing that, Dennis is busy in his room doodling and making up stories, and his mirror self is trying to ruin things. It plays out wonderfully that as the voice changes between the two different Dennises, the camera sways from actual Dennis 
and then shifts over to Mirror Reflection Dennis, or as I'm going to start calling him, Scented. It's very well done. And is probably some of my favorite discussions between normal and evil personality selves since Smeagol and Gollum. So I'm just going to cut to an example of it in the next clip. And Susan is handing me ice cream. And she's dropped a little. And is slipping in it. Looks like she's going to crack her skull. Oh, but luckily there's a pillow on the floor. Or a pillowcase full of broken glass. But I rush in and I catch her and throw her on the glass. Stop. This is ruining the drawing. John and Lydia meet for dinner. She has a whole bunch of issues and most of them are named Dennis. And while she's laying out all this stuff for John, Dennis is back at the house talking to himself in the mirror. And Senid is planting all these dark, evil seeds of doubt and notions that she's concocting some sort of evil plan to get rid of him. Which isn't technically wrong. It's not so much evil, but wanting to do what she thinks is best for Dennis and John. She's not entirely wrong, but as an outsider, it comes across as trying to drive a wedge between them. And if she doesn't watch herself, she could really come across as being the bad guy. And in a lot of ways, she does come across that way to the audience, which I think is deliberate misdirection. Or it could just be the disjointed nature of this movie being a mess made over 17 years that ended up causing that. Dennis confronts his brother with a lot of his suspicions when he gets home from dinner. It doesn't really go anywhere yet, but it ends up leading to Dennis going into a room, discovering it's full of mirrors like a uh, funhouse. To the point that when he tries to leave, he goes face first into another mirror, unable to leave and completely trapped among these infinite reflections of himself and other sides of himself. Symbolism, everyone! That's when the Grey Man returns for more creepy fun, and we're into another nightmare. Dennis wakes up, his brother is there, and they have a really good discussion about the nature of dreams and a lot of the underlying themes of this movie in the next clip. Oh, wow. Bad dreams, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. I borrow one of your ties. You don't really use them anyway. Okay. You can have it. I gotta talk to you. I, I need to know a dream is a story I tell myself, right? What do you mean, exactly? I tell myself a story. One part of my brain tells another part of my brain a story. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way of saying it, I guess. Well, if it's a story I tell me, how can I trick myself? <laughs> what do you mean? You can't tell yourself a joke and not see the punchline coming. What, do you, you, you think someone else is telling you these stories? I think that... that it has to be. Someone like... <laughs> and it's a dream within a dream, again. 
and I know normally I hate this sort of stuff, but it works really well here because we have to understand how disconnected Dennis is from reality and he doesn't know what is dream or reality at this point in his life. And I love all the layers and inception-y nature of it, and not just in the various levels of dreams, but just in the set design and what's going on, because there's a lot going on, mostly in the dreams, and I can't get into every single detail of what is going through this guy's head. That alone almost makes it worthwhile to pick apart all the little details. All the stuff with mirrors, that sense of being trapped, infinite reflections everywhere. I started to have an idea of what was going on that I really wish they had gone with, and it all points to a story that's more supernatural in nature than what we end up getting, but I'll talk more about that as we get to the end of the movie. Once Dennis wakes up for real, I think, or as real as I can guess at this point, he has more conversations with himself in the next clip. I was not scared. You're scared of some of your own hamsters. We gotta do something about it. We gotta fix the scare. How can you make me not scared anymore? We have to stop the nightmares. How can we stop the nightmares? We have to fix our brain. We have to get better and become smart. There's a way to do it, but nobody tells you how. Why don't they just tell me how to get better? Because it's a test. They make up rules that are lies to see if you'll be dumb enough to believe them. So what do I do? Follow only the real rules. How do I do that? You gotta go kill a kitty cat. Why? It's what you're supposed to do. They say it's bad to kill kitty cats. But you like eating meat, right? So, farmers can kill animals, right? See, that's the clue they gave you. They serve you meat. They're testing your gullibility when they say it's bad to kill animals. If you kill a cat, you can prove that you know which rules are fake. And they'll all know you're becoming smarter. You really think so? We have to be brave. We have to kill our neighbor's cat. The tabby. I, uh, okay. How can I put this without freaking everyone out about my own mental state? That logic is, um, actually pretty good in its dark, twisted way. Working with and around the hypocrisy of the rules we have to craft to have a stable society. And it's horrific that Mirror Dennis uses the twisted logic on his mentally handicapped other self. 
See, I'm not crazy. I don't agree with it. It just makes sense. I can follow the logic. Don't look at me like that. Also, if I had my own internal evil voice, she would become very frustrated with me very quickly. So wait, if killing animals is okay if you're a farmer, you're saying I should become a farmer. Anyways, Dennis goes out and kills the cat. And thankfully they don't show us this, aside from the normal meow kind of sound. And then cut to him dropping the body into a cooler that already has a few animals in it. I'm getting ready to say something along the lines of how this guy needs to start going the psycho route of taxidermy. When Sanded pops up with a taxidermy book on tape to teach himself exactly that. John later hears some banging going on. Finds Dennis working on a closet doorway to a secret room or something somewhere, where his taxidermy work is going to be done. But before he can ask too many questions about Dennis the Builder, he gets called away by Lydia for dinner. I love the hope and joy that John actually expresses at the idea that Dennis maybe could get a job. He might actually be good at this. Dennis, meanwhile, is working on a nature documentary all about spiders, and then the gray man shows back up. Does a little bit of taunting, attacks Dennis with a giant spider. We get a whole bunch more nightmare fuel, and the gray man offers Dennis a deal in the next clip. I'll let you wake up if you do a job for me. Say yes. Then your dreams will be pleasant for a long time. Say no. And I'll knock off that training wheel. If you think this was bad, wait. You have to do this. You have to go get a boy. Get a little boy if you want to get better. I have to kill a little boy or a little girl. It doesn't matter. It has to be a child. Why? Because that's what we'll need to do to prove that we're not stupid. It's the next step in the test. Once you realize killing animals isn't bad, it soon gets clear that all killing isn't bad. To learn killing animals is okay, they gave you meat as a clue. You don't know how many times your meat at dinner time was someone you knew. I ate kids at dinner many times. Everybody kills little boys and girls, and they're all disappointed in you because you haven't done it. It's only a few hours until dawn. Go out and kill a kid. So that's more compelling logic there. Stop it. Stop. Stop looking at me like that. After he goes and kills the child, Dennis is really hurting. The regret is really hitting him. The remorse and the pain in his voice just tears me apart. But Senate is there to whisper in his ear some more, give him some encouragement, and say it's going to be okay. And also reveals he's the one that's the source of all the nightmares thanks to being from a different darker world. While John is off making a deal to get some more time with his therapist, Dennis and Senad are talking. And Senad's giving the encouragement saying he's doing good. If he keeps this up he's going to keep getting smarter. 
and Scented will be able to cross over into our world. I really like the contrasting ideas they're playing with of both brothers making deals to try to make themselves better. It doesn't really play up for anything, but the reflections in both lives, haha, more reflections, is a nice bit of symmetry. Dennis asks his reflection to see his true face, and has him set up one mirror pointing at the closet mirror, looking down the hallway into infinity, revealing the gray man several layers deep. They have a bit of a chat as things escalate in the next clip. Is, is that you? I didn't choose to look this way. Why should I help you anymore? You hurt me. Who's really hurting you? Me or Susan? Susan likes me. She wouldn't fuck you with someone else's pussy. Why? She wouldn't fuck a retard. How revolting. But a serial killer, huh? How exciting. How intriguing, how mysterious. You know what makes you so unattractive in Susan's eyes? No. She thinks you couldn't hurt a fly. She thinks you're insignificant. If you killed her, she'd die screaming. She'd die in agony. But she'd die wet between the legs. Am I really your enemy? Dennis, I'm your only friend. I'm hungry, Dennis. Let's go get some ice cream. So there's a long, tense scene of Susan looking through the ice cream parlor as she's closing up and hears something, which turns out to be nothing more than a rat in a trap. But then Dennis does arrive. He awkwardly flirts with her, kinda asks her out, and she shoots him down kinda gently and understandably. But with all the seeds that Senid has planted in Dennis's head, it just confirms his worst fears. He walks out despondent, Susan continues to close up shop, and then Dennis does some ninja parkour shit out of the vents, which is one half WTF and one half kind of amazing seeing this physical transformation this guy does. But long story short, Susan runs off because that's what you do when someone leaps out of a vent at you, bolts out of the store, and gets hit by a car. That night, Lydia is starting to come around to this whole thing with Dennis and decides that they can do whatever he wants and they go off to some nautical Chuck E. Cheese ripoff type place. Dennis is curious about the animatronics that are playing up on the stage, and John tries to explain how it works with axles and flywheels and pulling on wires that this one action over here does this seemingly unrelated action over there with the arms moving around. And I wonder how much of this is setting up stuff that comes later, which I'll get to, and how much of it is actually intentional symbolism applying to the gray man gently nudging on nerves and thoughts to make Dennis do stuff like flywheels eventually moving animatronic arms. Dennis gets frustrated at all the big words and excuses himself to go to the bathroom and out of nowhere stabs a guy in the face. Well, shit. Dennis is confused why he just up and did that, but Senate is right there in the bathroom mirror to provide an explanation in the next clip. You didn't talk me into that one. I just did it and I don't know why. I knew you'd come around eventually. 
What happened? You've developed immunities, so you're upping your dosage. Why? You're addicted. Stop killing and sobriety's icy hand will have you. Hell, you can't even decrease your kills. But any increase, and you overdose. So what do I do? You graduate to stronger shit. You have to kill those close to you now. Friends, family. You have to kill more people like Susan. I think you're tricking me. I think you had this planned all along. You say everyone else is tricking me, but it's you. I know that now, so you can't trick me anymore. You're still gonna have to do everything I say because I control your dreams. I can handle the nightmares. You haven't yet had a nightmare. I won't do it. You're getting real close. I can smell your soul getting ripe. I won't do it. Oh, you'll do it. Or I'll find another. And he'll do it to you. I really appreciate that Dennis is smarter than he seems, even to the audience. Although it's clear at this point things are far, far too late for him. He exits the rest room, sees Susan, whose corpse decides to disrobe and have a chat, and then proceeds to collapse to the ground, do some creepy naked backwards walking, until Dennis wakes up from the nightmare back in the booth. And much like Dennis, I no longer have any idea where the dreams are beginning or ending. Dennis decides to take a page out of the Nightmare on Elm Street playbook, thinking, hey, the dreams can't hurt me if I don't go to sleep. We all know how well that turns out now, don't we? The next day dawns, John comes in to wake up Dennis, tell him to go take a bath, and then heads back to get a few more minutes sleep. John wakes up, saying he needs to go check on Dennis. Lydia points out you just did that five minutes ago, telling him to take a bath, and what is going on? I'm just gonna get to it right here. None of this weirdness at this point is actually explained. Weird stuff is going on, it's going to continue to go on. John and Lydia feel out of it for the rest of the movie. And I think in some version of the movie, they might have been starting to be drugged, or maybe reality is not quite working right. But the ultimate explanation the movie gives us doesn't really support anything that's going on at this point. So all I can do is shrug and move on. But like I said, they both feel weird and decide to head off to the ice cream shop to get some coffee. This is where they hear about Susan, they go to have some lunch and try to figure out how they're going to break this news to Dennis. Don't worry, I think he knows. All the waiters at the restaurant are weirdly ignoring them and this is just more of what's going on. Things continue to get weird. Dennis can- and Dennis continues to kill, begging Jack to have a break, and where are all these coolers that he keeps dumping bodies into coming from? <clears throat> Dennis says he's had enough, gets his brother's gun, which surprisingly with this movie has not been Chekhov'd, saying that if he kills himself, he kills both of them. That's when Dennis notices there's, um, no actual reflections in the mirror. But we see Senid stomping down the infinite mirror corridor behind him, pushes Dennis through the mirror, and replaces him. The social worker wanders back into the story with some cops, 
because she's been seeing all the strange behavior from John at the restaurant and decides it's time to take Dennis away to a better place. They wander through the seemingly empty house trying to find anyone but, most importantly, Dennis. One of the cops enters Dennis's room, gets spooked by his own reflection, and he should have stayed that way because his reflection then jumps out of the mirror and slashes his throat before transforming into Dennis. In case I haven't asked it already, what is going on? The social worker finds Dennis's pile of coolers, opens one up, and finds Frozen Dennis inside. Frozen Dennis then jumps out and kills her with some scissors. What's going on? Meanwhile, John and Lydia are freaking out because they're noticing all this weirdness around them. They can't find anyone they know anywhere in town until they finally see a familiar face. This guy confirmed some earlier comments about his friend and Dennis's books on tapes getting swapped. And oh, so maybe Dennis shouldn't have those taxidermy books. This whole weirdness builds and builds until finally Lydia confronts John about Dennis and that leads to some revelations in the next clip. Well, there you have it. What? Well, Dennis didn't even buy the books, Chuck did. Your point? Uh, the theory about Dennis no longer has a leg to stand on. Well, then why do you lie about him so much? What are you hiding? <laughs> what? Why are you lying? I'm not lying. We both know you're lying. You really want to know? Dennis was a prodigy. His IQ was not traditionally measurable. Taught himself arithmetic through long division at age five, through library books. He was a hero in the papers, and he's still a hero to Dr. Preston, who keeps a display case of newspaper clippings, essays, novellas, theories, all about or by Dennis. What happened? I don't remember all of it. I was eight when he was six, and uh, we got into a fight. And I punched him. Good punch, knockout punch, right to the jaw. And he went tumbling down the stairs. It's only unconscious for about an hour. But uh, when he came to, he couldn't read. He couldn't even tie his own shoelaces. I don't even know what the fight was about. You did this to him? He was a genius? Christ, I'd love to get away with you. Start a family, have a normal life. But I really do. I owe every cent that I make and every moment of my life to Dennis. We're going to have to talk to Dennis. About what? I'll need to know how things are going to change. What's going to change? For one, that house is going to be a little more cramped with me living in it. You could live with Dennis. Well, it's not a dream come true. But it is a family. And that's more than I ever had. See, she's not so bad. And John's guilt, his always wanting to be there for his brother, is more than understandable, and she understands it. And I like that now that he's being honest with Lydia, she's very understanding of the whole situation. But we continue to twist our way down Shyamalan Boulevard, and Pete reveals that, no, 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 no. The taxidermy books are Dennis's. Those are the ones he keeps getting. 
John realizes something is wrong. This taxidermy thing is a bad thing. He's kind of putting things together that we've been seeing. And he rushes home to hopefully save Lydia. Needless to say, he doesn't make it in time. Lydia is dead, and I am going to leave this particular plate of what? Sitting out there for you all to go discover for yourselves. And I'll leave you with this final clip of Dennis telling one last story. Let me tell you a story about a worse deception still. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I pray the Lord forgive me, but he cannot stay. He takes attention I need for my mommy away. He reminds me all the time that I'm not him. Forgive me, O oh Lord, but I'm about to sin. These injuries could not have happened in the fall. Aha! The jealous older brother. He's the victim of an attack. I'll revive him. He'll talk. Talk to me, boy. Beautiful, beautiful boy. God damn it, Dennis! Foiled! No, not foiled. Just a setback. We'll bring you back, and your brother will get his comeuppance. <laughs> everyone is deceiving everyone. We're not social animals. It's a rogue world. A spider world. The itsy bitsy spider called up the water spout. Down came the rain and washed the spider out. From there, the nightmare fuel reaches a fever pitch, as I believe we shift from our world and Senate's dark world. Things get horrific, to put it mildly, until finally the cops crash in, shattering the illusion and dragging Dennis away. Long story short, it all turns out that this was all voices in Dennis's head. Just how much of what we've seen is reality is questionable but ultimately it seems to all be mundane and there was no otherworldly creature poking at Dennis to do things. I'm not entirely happy with that situation. I think a supernatural entity in this movie was really needed and would have kept things from vilifying the mentally handicapped too much. Whew. The Evil Within is a lot to take in. A lot of scenes are an assault of imagery, which is wonderful and really works well with dream imagery and logic. The story is dark and creepy and unsettling. I'm still not sure if I like that they went that this was all in Dennis's head and caused by his brain damage or psychosis or whatever. I think the movie needed a supernatural presence. It needed the gray man to be a real thing and not just another side of Dennis nudging him along. You could have kept all the stuff about Dennis's history and make the Gray Man legitimately another entity just trying to utilize this person's weakness and break into our world. Possibly even living inside of Dennis like, you know, we saw him unzipping and getting inside. And it would have been a powerful moment to have Dennis stop this creature, triumphing over this entity interested in just using someone that it sees as inferior. Even if it ended in a pirate victory where Dennis still goes to an asylum for everything he did. Instead, what we're left with is it just makes Dennis be a crazy person with mental problems, vilifying those in need of legitimate help. It's an overdone horror movie trope, and 
this movie really digs its heels in deep and goes full bore with the trope, making the bad guy someone who needs legitimate help. On the upside, everyone has their own personality and you really feel from them, from, from Dennis struggling to not want to do everything the Gray Man is telling him, to John's side of things where he feels such guilt for what he did to his brother. Even Lydia you feel for as the movie tries to make her out as more of a bad guy throughout a lot of it, but you come to understand why she feels the way she does. I'm a little uncomfortable about the mental handicapped acting, but I understand why they went that way because of the more non-handicapped acting the character is required to do. The story behind this movie, everything it had to go through just to finally come out 15 years after it was first begun, ultimately ends up with this movie feeling very disjointed. Like, if you wrote half a book 10 years ago, then came back to work on it today, without rereading the earlier chunk of manuscript you've already written. Not that I would have any idea what that would feel like, just throwing the idea out there. Everything feels kinda right, you kind of see the characters lining up, but they're also slightly mismatched with their motivations at various points of the movie. It's all the same, but like, but it's like if you nicked off tiny bits of puzzle pieces and then tried to put them together, you'd see, oh yeah, they kind of fit, but still not right at the same time. You can tell the final product is a bit of a mess from the amount of time it took to get here, but it at least ends up being a compelling mess, which is better than a lot of other movies can say. Ultimately though, I really enjoyed this movie. I feel nicely disturbed by all the imagery it gave you. I wish the story was a little tighter and made sense and maybe took some different turns, but I would say this is definitely worth your time. And that wraps up episode 36 of The Bloodstream. If you've enjoyed listening to me yell at a movie for 30 minutes or however long this is going to end up taking, you can find all our episodes at the website triskadecafiles.com slash tbs. You can also subscribe to the podcast in all of your favorite services, including Apple Music, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Just search for The Bloodstream. We're the podcast that's not about medicine. And while you're there subscribing, please be sure to like, rate, and review the show. That's a big help and much appreciated. We've got a Tumblr page at thebloodstream.tumblr.com where I post random stuff up. You can also find us on Facebook where I like to keep everyone up to date with what's going on with the show. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the show, or just have a movie you'd like me to check out, you can leave a comment at any of those places or send me an email directly at phoenix, F-O-E-N-I-X, at gmail.com. That's Phoenix with an F. So once again, thanks for listening, and I'd like to leave you with these words of wisdom. If you find yourself talking to the man in the mirror, try asking him to change his ways. Take care, and keep streaming.
worry. <laughs> It'll only hurt. A lot. 